0: Welcome to the 81st episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Duesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about the end of the year. Again, notable developments that have happened in the last year, as well as things we're kind of looking forward to. Well, we've done it. We've busted another one. <sighs> this one's kind of momentous, too. Yeah, the, the next the next one is 2020. It's how good you're supposed to see. And this year has not been without its kind of crazy ups and downs. Kicking off on the business side of things, the two the two big ones that came to my mind is that IBM finalized the purchase of Red Hat, so that is now a done deal. They are one organization, and while they don't have quite as much pull in some of the the modern technology pieces that a lot of people who listen to this podcast or or live in the DevOps space think about, they are a huge mover, and it's a sign of the times that the world is coming along to meet all of this. Even the old enterprise focused seriously business assured players are running kubernetes internally they're they're running all this together they are moving forward and if there's any better sign that this is where you need to be that's where you need to be
1: congratulations red hat you won i just hope you can recover from those battle scars
0: (laughs) yeah and the other kind of big one that i noticed um, a couple months ago the docker folks sold their enterprise assets to mirantis And it caught me by surprise when it happened, but it kind of makes sense, especially with, you know, Docker Swarm and the other kind of Docker first or the Docker central pieces getting subsumed by things like Kubernetes. It was a harder bill for them to sell their enterprise services alongside an ecosystem where everybody seems to have moved to Kubernetes because, well. Yeah, apparently that enterprise division wasn't doing so hot sales wise. And last year when we did this episode, we we had talked about how how Kubernetes had kind of won and if nothing that is all the more clear now that kubernetes has completely and totally won the space
1: see our last episode
0: yes and speaking of winners i hate to kind of pick and choose winners but terraform much like puppet became the default configuration management tool for a long time i mean people ran chef people ran other tools but puppet really became the default assumption that if you're doing configuration management on servers you're using puppet we're at the point now that if you're doing cloud infrastructure provisioning you're using terraform or at least it's part of your workflow even if it isn't your whole workflow and Ugh. it it's not perfect it has definitely interesting opportunities in its dsl but it is it is now at the point that opportunities <laughs> yeah but it's at the point that i would anybody who's new in the space who's looking to okay what to, what are the base tools i should get familiar with terraform is definitely first on my list for them is point 12 considered turning complete? I don't know exactly. I know they added a bunch of um, language syntax things that were sorely missing in point 10 and point 11.
1: One thing I really appreciated about Puppet was the fact that it was declarative and you stated what you wanted your configuration to look like. And that was the initial goals for Terraform, except it didn't really work so well because you actually needed code semantics to build some of the things you needed. And that wasn't completely untrue on the configuration management side of your of the files on disk, uh, with Puppet. But Puppet was so much more graceful. I've I accept Terraform as one of the default cloud tools nowadays, but that doesn't mean I have to like it.
0: Yeah, I was horrified when I first using Terraform that they didn't have loops, they didn't have real conditionals. Or there were a bunch of things that were just.
1: I see Terraform much like what Puppet. Strived to be except of course in the cloud instead of you know configuration on disk and that's the way i like to think about it and that model of using a declarative language to state your infrastructure but yeah that that model doesn't scale so well when you actually need to be able to call functions and have infrastructure that appears and disappears
0: and early versions of Terraform that I used, at least, didn't have basics like conditionals or loops. So you couldn't really do a lot of the, even the fake loops that Puppet was doing of mapping an object to an array or whatever. So it was always difficult for me to kind of reason around some of the, the strict limitations in the beginning of Terraform. And it's it's gotten better, but it still has a ways to go.
1: And really the thing about Terraform is, unlike Puppet, it's not working with an abstracted concepts. Puppet worked with files, it worked with packages, it worked with services, all three of which were fairly abstract, same interface across a multitude of platforms. And at t- in the cloud world, we're in the world of proprietary cloud platforms. So Terraform has to know how to work with each one specifically, and a EBS volume on Amazon isn't the same as a persistent disk in GCP, and never the two shall meet, which is probably a large part of why I feel that Terraform is so rough around the edges.
0: Well, even more insidiously, so the, the, the disk primitives aren't so different. I mean, they're different, but they're not terribly different. But the way the load balancers work are pretty different. And as you move further and further out into the more abstract or the higher level objects, you get to a place where it doesn't really fit. And so this whole dream of having a single declarative, you know, configuration language that's easy to move from one cloud vendor to another kind of misses its mark because you can't just pick it up and move it. You you do have to re-architect things based on either cost or the the way you configure the objects. So it's it's a harder dream to realize than the puppet dream was.
1: And maybe the the answer here that we might see in the near future is folks simplifying their cloud environments around Kubernetes. Terraform has Kubernetes providers. Will we see a majority of our Terraform Just being able to state, we've checked out a Kubernetes cluster. Here is the state of our Kubernetes cluster, what we expect to run on it, what we expect it to look like. And have that sort of be the abstracted concepts that we're working here that we want to state as code, that we want to, you know, spin up a new Prometheus job because we also spun up a new service and we want to
0: monitor its standard metrics. So that's that's a beautiful dream. And I, I would love to to get behind and support that dream. But you can't put... But not in 2020? But you also can't put the whole world inside of Kubernetes quite yet. There's going to be things you need outside of Kubernetes, even if it's only your load balancer, your caches, your other external um, cloud-based stores of various pieces and whatever. It doesn't all fit inside of Kubernetes, at least not yet. So, not
1: yet. And that's been why I've definitely been resisting seeing Kubernetes as the solution. So there you have it. There's my real feelings. Um,
0: also in the business news, the recently the Google CEO, Sundar Pachai, has now been made the CEO of Alphabet as well. So the convenient fiction that they were separate organizations has, I think, pretty much been erased at this point. It, it had been a convenient fiction for a while now, but they've kind of dispensed with it at completely at this point, which I think makes sense. Um, Google is solidly in the second place for cloud dominance in terms of the, the platforms. It's Amazon first, and then Google, and then surprisingly…
1: I yeah. thought Azure pretty much, you know, had the second spot.
0: Well, they're, a year ago, two years ago, they were Azure was firmly in third place, a distant third. But they have been climbing back up the ranks really fast, powered in part by the fact that a lot of the Windows using IT shops in the world want to do cloud stuff, and it's really easy for them to say, yeah, I'll use Azure's Active Directory, and then once you're into that, oh, I'll, I'll use the hosted SharePoint, in, yeah. and I'll use whatever else. And it's really simple because all the tools work and microsoft's been putting a the lot big
1: three are definitely here to stay i recommend purchasing their stock
0: yes um also in terms of the big players um there's been a lot of foot this year in terms of privacy and in terms of security um, for data facebook obviously has been in the news frequently if you're paying attention to any of this oh facebook please be vigilant please remind the lawmakers that you can harass in whatever country or locale you are in to take a stronger look at the needs and importance of data safety and data security for individuals. It's, it, this is not an, oh, well, maybe in a couple of years, we'll... F-. No, th- this is a now thing, and it is... But been- 2020 will continue
1: the consistent attacks on our privacy and the consistent attacks on Facebook and other various services where people can expose data about us for nefarious purposes. I don't think that's changing.
0: Sadly, no. Um, it's it's only getting worse. And the the few companies that are trying to do more of the right thing are limited by their own interesting choices, we'll say. <laughs>
1: oh, Facebook.
0: And I think one of the things that I'm looking forward to very much in the coming year is I am intensely curious to see if the Kubernetes developers can kind of either finish or make more progress on that dream of everything runs inside of Kubernetes. It's unlikely but the stateful set work they've done and a bunch of other pieces that have been been pushed.
1: Stateful set is a big milestone. Having Elastic publishing
0: supported
1: methodologies of running ELK on stateful sets is a big step. So oh, yeah. one of the things that I'm kind of looking for, so this means it won't happen, but will we start to see open source, open standard clouds? As I mentioned in, in the last episode, the more I sort of step back and try to look, the more I see parallels with today's world of proprietary clouds with 30 years ago when we had all these different proprietary Unixes.
0: Oh, I completely agree. There's The vendor lock-in aspect of this is very, very strong. Everybody is trying to do whatever they can to make their service a little different and a little bit more and a little bit more incompatible. So it's harder to move from one service to another. It's harder to
1: embrace and extend. And
0: as much as I hate to say it, Amazon is the new Microsoft. Amazon of today is Microsoft of 1995. They are everywhere. They are pervasive. They are not not regulated in, in any meaningful way. And they have the war chest to treat competitors as hostile entities and do whatever they like. And it makes me very uncomfortable having watched this play out in the past future
1: that we're doing to repeat a oh, wait so i hear that uh apple finally released a
0: laptop that doesn't suck yes um on this episode last year on the, the end of the episode last year we were talking about how we were very very surprised and saddened that apple still hadn't learned their their lesson but they seem to have they they seem to really have turned it around a physical
1: escape key we're back to the scissor keys that are
0: reliable I think
1: uh, even Apple support group was tired of their support requests. Well,
0: not only reliable, but individually repairable. You're not replacing half the laptop anymore just to replace a broken T key. So, hey, progress, right? 32 gigs of RAM on that sucker or more. Yeah, there's a lot of good there. I still think that my next personal workstation will probably be a Linux machine, just knowing what I know about my work patterns and my, my home use of machines. But I love working from a workstation environment.
1: It... I'm more comfortable. I sit up straighter. I ha- I don't have wrist-hurty stuff. I'm not hunched over a laptop, so I really prefer a workstation. And you know, you can pop up two or three screens and all of a sudden you've got some real screen real estate. It makes it hard to go back to a laptop. But I've uh, offered to a number of my friends, the Macs are really expensive. As much as we all like them, they're really expensive and I still have some big questions about will Apple still be able to support those of us in the tech field that build this stuff? I mean, and building a uh, Linux workstation is a free BSD workstation is relatively inexpensive. And I'm frankly quite glad to help people build their own workstation because once you start, it's magic.
0: I must say that I'm very sad that Apple's expandable configurable professional tower, which is back on sale. it, it, It exists again as a product for $52,000. Well, that, that's the top end. And <laughs> part of that is Intel's greed and not just Apple's. But it makes me sad that the base price is $6,000. And it's not even all that well configured at $6,000.
1: That is beyond ludicrous. I, I've, I'm at a loss for words of the pricing of the of the
0: new cheese grater. And I'm not saying it's not well designed, and I'm not saying it's not expandable, and that I would not love to have one. But if I'm going to spend six thousand dollars on a machine, it's going to have a whole lot more than two hundred and fifty-six gigs of SSD space and more than thirty-two gigs of RAM. That is, yeah, it, it, it's mind-bogglingly small in terms of the initial provisioning. One of the things that I love.
1: SSD space they have on the base model. Two
0: hundred and fifty-six gigs.
1: Two fifty-six. Yeah. So you want a Linux box? I can probably do that in in twelve or thirteen hundred for for a nice one.
0: Oh, it's crazy, and in the past, Apple's configurable towers had started at, at high but reasonable prices of you know eighteen hundred twenty two hundred dollars, which was expensive, but it gave you a very solid foundation. you know, it was quality hardware, you know it had really good warranty behind it, and yet it cost twenty thirty percent more than competitors you for that warranty
1: the hardware was good quality hardware exactly that machined aluminum is fancy stuff. you know if I'm getting good value out of it, I'm willing to pay. And, but there comes a point where, yeah, I get good value out of it, but do I get four or five times the value out than, than supporting my local uh, Intrax store and building my own tower?
0: Exactly. So my next machine will probably be a hand-built machine, and we'll see how that goes. My trusty iMac is still kicking along. It's it's a little less trusty than it used to be, but it still works, and as long as it works, I'm going to keep on going. Um, I'd love to get to a decade on it. I'm only at seven years now, so we'll see how that goes.
1: So, yeah, if if we have to do a podcast, you know, maybe even with a camera and show folks how they can put together Linux workstations, I am more than willing to.
0: Yeah. Other things that I want to talk about in the coming year, um, we have some, a couple of episodes slated for production That we haven't gotten to yet about metrics and error budgets and anomaly detection and those kinds of things. I also want to talk a little bit about large scale metrics deployments and and those pieces and how they kind of fit together. So that's definitely.
1: Yeah, some of the stuff we talked about last year I've now done, and I'm not proud. Shipping is
0: a feature. (laughs) And it shipped. So a a lot of the work. I
1: definitely see a lot of continued improvements with Thanos with the boltons around Prometheus to build in some of the business intelligence logic that Prometheus out of the box lacks. And that's that's become a big thing for me over the past years. I've tried to build that. And as I kind of look around for, you know, what's next in sort of that world, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of of what's next isms um in that space for Prometheus. So I kind of expect the existing solutions to continue to grow and mature, and we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll come back to what we had with Graphite five years ago. Who knows? Um, there's a certain metric company out there that looks like they have a good product and a good piece of code, and they're being really um, aggressive about their monitoring, or uh, their product, including you know posting into Thanos bug tickets about, Well, until Thanos gets this feature works out, you can use our stuff, which of course is not super helpful for solving Thanos bugs. It's also a little, I don't know, tacky, maybe the word I'm looking for. Yeah, tacky. But it's an interesting new player uh, in the metrics space, and I'm kind of interested if they'll kick off something actually interesting, because it looks like they have a better platform as far as supporting both operational style metrics what's happening on the ground right now, as well as business-style intelligence. How does this outage compare to the last outage? How does our sales this Mother's Day compare to last Mother's Day sort of features?
0: Talking about vendors makes me also think a little bit about kind of the overall job market and how the economy of the world at the moment is impacting that and making life fun, new and different and challenging for people. Fun, yeah, there's there's both the realities for contractors and consultants as well as folks who are in either startups or in small companies that are looking to either be acquired or not be acquired depending on their on their want. And is it a safer bet at this point to move to a larger company? Is it a safer bet to move to a startup and try to make get some equity grants in the beginning? I don't really know, but that's definitely something that's going to be coming this year. And I feel
1: like our... Economy is in a really interesting point where we may have more fun times, more good times where the stock market continues to go up, but we have a pretty big chance of things becoming less stable. And so keeping your resume put together and your network of contacts in good shape, um, I think will continue to serve us well.
0: And as we've talked about in this podcast before, having your resume up to date is always a good exercise that every three or six months. You look at it, you poke it, you make sure that it has the right numbers and the right projects and the, the most current updates. So if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I've got a startup, or somebody comes to you and says, hey, we are downsizing, or somebody comes to you and says whatever else in between, you have, you're have you not scrambling, that you have a, a easy and reasoned way to say, well, this is what I want to do. I would like to make whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tempted to go into yak farming personally, but whiskey sounds good. But really, one of the fields that is really taking off
1: that I think folks like us that deal with a lot of of the infrastructure that supports big data, uh, we should really be looking at the IoT sort of field. That generates an awful lot of big data, and the folks in that field use not just bits and pieces of that data, but they use most of that data to build numerical models, scientific models of what they're trying to study, what they're trying to feed into machine learning or other big data applications. And that's been an interesting space the last couple of years. And I think that will also continue to, to be a fun place to be.
0: Yeah, I think IoT has gone from being kind of a curious, yeah, maybe someday. And that whole like the home automation craze that kind of came and is still here, but never really made it as far as people wanted it to.
1: Yeah, I think we've passed the point of initial proof of concept. Can we deploy a pile of devices all monitoring the same thing and get data back? Can we turn that into insights?
0: Well, yeah, now it's, we can. Because now it's not are we putting in smart light switches in people's houses? We're putting in things like renewable energy monitoring or weather storm storm water monitoring or whatever it is. So you have a fleet of sensors deployed by a company or a municipality or a government that are looking at kind of larger scale pieces. And once you have the sensors in place, you have to deal with the data. And it's, it's not the kind of data you can throw any of it away. You actually need all the readings to make, it, make anything make sense.
1: And what makes me kind of happy, it's telemetry data. It's the data that I've spent the last several years coming to know and love and how to do anomaly detection on. So I like math.
0: Yeah. There's a bright future there, I think. But yeah, something I see continuing to be bright through the next year. And as always, if you have things you think we've missed, things you'd like us to cover, we would love to hear from you. The podcast is only as strong as the listenership that we, that we have. And if you think we, we, we would be better served by looking at a particular use case or example or technology, we'd love to do it. We'd love to hear from you and, and follow that feedback to episodes or guest interviews or whatever. Please take the time to rate the show in Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows you've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm. Send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm. And that wraps it up for the 81st episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Britta Duesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. Thanks, and good night. Big.